Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony Slater, and I'm here today with Russell Case. Hello, everyone. And a very old, dear friend of his, Sarah Miles. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Sarah, I'm so delighted that you you came on the on the show with us today. Um, Sarah, we we met in England in in Brighton um, many years ago, and we worked together quite closely in Ashtanga Yoga. And you have a very interesting story that I wanted to share with our listeners, and I'm just really grateful that you that you'd come on with us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, to hear you both, and to be invited. It's very kind of you both. Well, well where where are you today? Are you in, in Brighton? Yes, yes. I'm still in the same old flat that I was, that you visited when you came here. Yeah, we haven't moved. Wow. Yeah, yeah. haven't moved at all. And who's who's there with you? Who do you all have in the house? Um, Cole, my husband, and uh, Pepper, my dog. Uh was it Peppa? Hopefully. Peppa or Heppa? No, Peppa. Pep, like Peppa Pig. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I told Cole no farting. I said, they'll be able to pick it up, so hopefully he'll behave as well. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. nice. <laughs> wow. So we we met in, I think, 2003. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I had um, just taken a substitute job at the Brighton Natural Health Center. Mm-hmm. My friend Sharon Moon had, had organized the whole thing. And she was taking over for the certified Ashtanga yoga teacher, Louise Ellis, from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to know if you, if you remember anything about that time, if you remember meeting me at that time. Yes, Burnt into my memory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I remember um, it, it was a really uh, important time for me at that time, you know, meeting all these teachers and Louise was so lovely and Sharon was lovely and um, and sh- I remember Sharon being quite excited about you coming, but we weren't sure when you were going to come exactly or she wasn't sure ex- exactly the day you were arriving or something, I don't know. And then I remember being at that time we were um, Mysore was in the afternoons, and uh, I remember being in class practicing, and uh, and seeing this sort of smiley face at the door, at the window of the door, and then uh, I remember you sort of came strutting in with your shorts and your bare chest, and sort of laid down your mat, and there was like boom floating away and everyone was like there was sort of the, <laughs> there was sort of this everyone sort of seemed to go <gasps> yeah so and I thought oh that must be him then <laughs> <laughs> showing off as yeah, usual strutting about <laughs> yeah. yeah wow that's yeah. uh yeah that that is seared into your memory yeah. like, do you remember wow. the, do you remember the first time entry I do. I, um, it was my first job, you know, I was just fresh out of school. I was, I had a couple part-time things going when I was in school, but this is it. This is my first real career. And, uh, I, I had, 
gone to India and I had met Sally Evans and uh, who I believe, you know, and, uh, (laughs) and, and I had said, well, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to England. I'm going to take a job. And Guy Donahue had been my teacher in, um, in, uh, in England. And so in a way it was like getting, you know, starting a, uh, a love affair with Guy in New York. It was like f- physically manifesting a relationship with Guy, which was awesome for me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, going to England and, and um, Sharon being there and Louise being there was, was great. Um, Cause I, I felt, you know, kind of held and cared for, and I, I could, I could, I could move right in. But I was also, um, I was also aware that I was going to be the Mysore teacher, and I didn't really, I didn't really understand what I was getting into because I, I apprenticed with Guy for a number of years, but I didn't have any of the like the emotional stuff. I didn't have the the. Um, I didn't set boundaries. I just guided and adjusted. And then I came in to kind of set up or I didn't think I was setting up, but I I just kind of came in to, to do what I was doing with guy. Hmm. And I, and immediately I was like, I was, I realized that what this Mysore room was about was about butting heads and, and really, um, each time I made a suggestion to someone, I was kind of met with, uh, you know, frustration or um, disagreement. <laughs> and I was, I was like, wow, this is really intense. This is, uh, yeah. this is not what I was used to at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so when I actually started teaching was, did you see that in the room that there was, that there was like a lot of, conflict you know i think brighton's uh history was it was you know with with derrick island wasn't it and you know um christina and i think uh that derrick's uh path wasn't wasn't a particularly traditional path and and i think when you came you basically set up a very traditional program, didn't you? And I think you sort of uh, taught in a, a a very traditional way, and and you know, and a very boundaried way. And I I really appreciated that. I really appreciated that. And um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's always difficult in a. a uh, to be a new person entering into a room, isn't it? It's it's all you know. You're going to have to deal with a lot of egos, especially if you're the person that's holding the space, you know. And it's how you how you how you do deal with that, really. Mm. Yeah, so I thought that's right. So Derek Ireland's was did, was he ever actually there at the centre? Was it was it was Christina Ireland? Yes, there it wasn't at the center. I think he did visit Brighton, though, but like mm-hmm. he wasn't at the center. But uh, yeah, yeah, Christina um, set up uh, doing Stanger and Mysore at the BNHC, and yeah. uh, 
and then Julie was Julie, Julie Martin was um, uh, she was mentoring Christina was mentoring Julie Martin. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 I was staying in Julie's flat. That's right. Which, yes, yeah. that's right. And I have to kind of put this in and because it's always like the most peculiar thing about it is that when I left New York, I had just finished a workshop, a, a, an adjustment workshop with, with Nancy Gilgoff. Oh, yeah. And there were a number of, of people there in the room that, that I, you know, I developed friendships with, close friendships with. And so I got to Julie's flat, say, six months later. And I was kind of, you know, snooping around, you know, looking at all the cubby holes, trying to see what was, what was, what she was about. Yeah. And, um, cause I was there for, for months, you know? Yeah. And, um, I found this tantric video, you know, the, the art of Tantra. I said, Oh, this is cool. I'll watch this. And one of the women, and, and so I, I, it was all sort of sweet and nice and people dancing and doing a lot of, you know, uh, five rhythms dance and, and all kinds of nice things. And, and then um, there was an oral sex scene kind of abruptly right in the middle of the, of the video. <laughs> and it was really intense. And the, the woman giving the blow job was the friend of mine from New York in the Nancy Gilgoff workshop. No. Yeah. It was well weird. I was like, Oh, I know her. Oh. <laughs> She's, okay. did, you, did you ever speak to her again then? Or did you take a photo and go, look? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I never, I never saw her again. And yeah. I'm, I'm probably grateful for that. But I did see Julie. Julie came back from India where she'd t- taken over um, the Purple Valley yoga thing in uh-huh. goa and then purchased the miser room in goa and yeah. that was going to be her thing and uh but she came back just to you know pick up her things and 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 tidy everything up and i saw julie and i was like really embarrassed because i i knew she had this patrick <laughs> corn video in her closet i didn't know <laughs> what to do but she was tr- really tough, Julie. I mean, she, she was she was American, right? Yeah, yeah. She, and she was like from LA, and she was like a kick-ass, take no prisoners kind of lady. Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, but not not as intimidating as uh, Christina. Wow, very vocal. Yeah, she 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 had a, a dance background she came from a jazz background so she was sort of sort of she talked in that sort of traditional sense you know where the teacher shouted at you or you know did you know said whatever they wanted to do and Mm -hmm. um yeah that was that was her that was her history Mm. yeah it was weird i remember she did a class and julie martin was we did a tita hasta parangustasana and you take your toe and and i had always thought you know you lean forward and touch your head to your knee. Yeah. And which, she said that was like the stupidest thing and no <laughs> one could ever do that. Yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's peculiar. Wow. Yeah. Yes, Julie, she kind of like, it was, it took me a while to realize that she, she had 
giving me a bit of a bum steer, really. Like, I didn't really understand that she wasn't teaching me traditionally, you know, as traditionally. Um, so, yeah, yeah, she, they, I think um, that, yeah, had they had some sort of different ways of doing the practice, didn't they? They had, like, ways of, you know, adding in certain things and getting rid of certain things, Um mm. Yeah. yeah, everyone was doing the splits in the standing yeah. sequence, yeah. for example. And, um, I came from that all came, all came from Derek, I believe. I mean, that's yeah. that's why they were doing it. It was sort yeah. of down that route. But once yeah. you uh, once you uh, come along and tidied everything up, <laughs> <laughs> then yeah. it's pretty much pretty much finished with really. I think, although, yeah, so. Um, I was really, I was astonished to see the splits because I had torn my hamstring off my pelvis doing it. And I was like, this is really, this is really dangerous to do the splits. And a lot of these folks are pensioners and doing the splits here in the room. I was like, this is, this is, um, this is interesting. Yeah. I do them all the time now when I'm doing the (laughs) splits. Yeah, I also tore my hamstring as well. Like it, it popped off my yeah, yeah pelvis, like, uh, and I had a lot of sk- uh, scar tissue for a long time. It took a long time to recover from that. Yeah, yeah decades. It takes decades. Dec- well, yeah, it took I, it took a uh, yeah certain years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, took, well, it took me uh, at least fifteen really? years. And I still feel it. It's been 25 years. Yeah. And I still feel it uh, if I sit in a chair for too long. Uh, I, actually, I actually wanted to ask you about some of your injuries. Because um, uh, yeah. one of the, the most profound things that happened to me in that room, as far as l- really learning how to adjust the practice to the individual, which I didn't, I didn't show up in Brighton to do. I was there to, do, to run an orthodoxy. And I didn't even know I had that intention. I was just teaching what I'd been taught. Mm. And I was like, well, this is the way to do it. I'm going to do it this way. And so I I remember adjusting you in Bada Konasana. Mm. And we were really kind of having an interesting time with it. We were really working with you. (laughs) And there was like some deep deep groin stuff there. And it was like, this is really intensely painful. And then... I've been taught to kind of just push back on the thighs yeah, and not realizing that that was really wrong mechanically. And I remember your knee, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say it popped, but it really just always felt like it just broke in half. Yeah. What is that? What was going on? Um, My knee were dislocating all the time. They started to dislocate all the time. So like, Dislocate. Dislocate, yeah. Uh, Dislocate. And it Uh. dislocated in the workshop and I turned the air blue. I was like, and Sally had to help me out of the room and the whole time I was just swearing (laughs) really badly. And we felt terrible about it. And I was like, don't worry. You know, like, yeah, they they kept dislocating. um, And I had um, torn... um, 
my uh, crucial ligaments. So, and my hips were very, very tight. Yeah. So, like, um, yeah, I was just going down a, a terrible road, you know, and it, that it was like, I felt like after you left, um, it was, I, yeah, it was like the valley of death, you know. It's, I didn't know what to to do, and and I ended up going to. So I went to um, first time I went to Mysore was two thousand and two, but then I went in two thousand and seven, not long after you had gone, and um, I think I'd only been there like two weeks or something like that, and and it happened again, and uh, first one went, and then the other went. But I managed to contain my swearing. <laughs> did did someone did, were you adjusted and it happened, or did they just no, go out? They just it just went out. And, and then did I, I cause the injury the first time? Was no, that the first my, time it just happened? No, my lovely, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. And um and then uh I ended up um making a decision to have a double knee operation in Bangalore whilst I was oh. out so I went to Bangalore and uh, I had this yeah I had I had a, a spinal blocker and uh, oh. I had two knee operations and and then of course you know I mean that in itself you know yeah because we I, I have this thing about when I'm afraid of things I don't like to I don't like to hide from things that I'm afraid of so like I, I I knew I was terrified of hospitals, and I just thought, and 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 it was also the fact that I had such limited money, and and I'd had this time off ready to be practicing in Mysore, and and I thought, well, you know, I could be recovering from the knee surgery, so so I did that <laughs> instead. Yeah, and did I it d- work? It did work. I I paid for uh, one of the top surgeons um, who who managed the. I think he, I think he did the cricket team in India or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said to him, "Look, I'm really worried that you know I don't want you to do it over tight because like you know it, I've heard of people that can't bend their knees properly afterwards, and you know really need you to do you know to do your job well, but." Like I was, I was there six hours drilling away. Like, and you can, you know, I, he, I could oh see, God. yeah. And and my knee was on the screen, uh, so I could oh. see what he was doing. Um, oh. And poor old Carl was sitting outside in the waiting room waiting for me. And then when I came out, like, they, you're not there long, are you? And they send you off. So the one <laughs> when I when I undid the the bandages on my dressings because I had to change my dressings a couple of times yourself myself and and I was like oh shit this is bad you know I mean I was like what have I done I that I did felt so scared but I had to do all this like um all the you know physio by myself and and uh and I'm I remember one time Cole so we went I, Cole was, he was, oh, I had to use, like, I had to, I couldn't, because I couldn't go on the squat toilet, so I had to use, like, um, a commode. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Cole had to empty it. I was just like, oh, please. <laughs> so I was like, don't look, Cole, don't look. Like, I was just set. And then he was so good, and he he took me outside, put, put me on this chair outside, and I, 
had my knee propped up and he'd got me some fruit or some sort of dried fruit and he put it on the wall next to me and I was like reading or something I can't remember um and then I looked up and literally right by me but on by the wall was this monkey and he, <laughs> you know, it showed me his teeth because it was like taking a fruit, and I just shot off the chair, and I was like, oh. <laughs> "Luckily, I didn't injure myself because, like, God knows how I didn't because I really I moved so fast." <laughs> yeah, that was one of the most frightening things I ever did. And then I came back, and I was teaching, and 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 it was just. I was teaching mornings and evenings and having to deal with with my own recuperation and and try to find a way through um guide only using myself as guide you know mm-hmm. and it was really really one of the hardest things I've ever done but 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 you know one of the proudest things for me is actually having you know having achieved uh, the full primary series for me it, you know i was just so proud of myself and you know and you'll be pleased to know i can get down in Vatican arsenal all by myself <laughs> like <laughs> I can do it. it's happening yeah yeah wow and you don't have to worry about your knees popping no exactly Exactly. That's a relief. I thought I thought I'd maybe heard that the, the the surgery was a disaster, and so I'm really pleased to hear. It, but I think it was just like the experience was a disaster. But no, that, no, yeah, um, the surgery was good. The sur- yeah, it just took a long, long time. A long time. I mean, wow. it took years. It took a lot of time to to get through. Yeah, yeah. I also had a surgery in India in 2008. Oh, yeah. uh, I had an appendicitis in Mysore. Oh no, you poor love. So I had to go in for an emergency appendectomy. And so I can totally relate to um, your fear because yeah. <laughs> before the surgery, I was, you know, it lying in their, their hospital bed. And one of my friends said to me, okay, we'll see you on the other side. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, am I going to die? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, also, they gave me the spinal blocker and then went and did the surgery, which in hindsight, I think was really helpful and like actually reassuring for me that it was just like my appendix they were taking out. But like they showed me my appendix when they yeah. took it out oh. and they're like, do you want to keep it? And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So frightening. It's that lack of control, I think, isn't it? It's just yeah. surrendering yourself to somebody and. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, for me, I, I had it done in Mysore. So the hospital itself is, like, very basic. Yeah. It's, like, something out of, like, I don't know, the early 1900s, it feels like. Yeah. And, like, yeah. they strap me down to the table, like, with, oh. with like, straps, you know, <laughs> like, like, yeah. like you see in the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then, and then you're freezing, and they're like cutting you open, and you're just lying there thinking, "Oh my gosh, Jesus what is going on?" <laughs> yeah, it's not the best. It's not the best. No, but it was actually I was there in the hospital for I think three days with the surgery, the medications. They had to put me on morphine at the beginning, and and different things, and um, an IV, and I mean, the, uh, there was also some horrific experiences with 
some of the staff and their, you know, inability to like do an IV properly and different things. Uh, but, uh, but the yeah. surgeon himself was very, very good. Uh, and I think the whole like operation and stay at the hospital was $2,000 or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which was, yeah. I mean, amazing. Cause like, I don't even think you can stay in a hospital for one day in, Not even. in Canada Maybe or America or England for $2,000. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, it's so much more accessible there. I would have been waiting and then to have taken all of the, I mean, obviously you don't play here because of, you've got the National Health Trust but service, but uh, I w- it would have been really difficult to recuperate the amount of time it would take me off of working to recuperate and stuff. So, yeah. 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 How much did it cost you in the end? I don't remember. I think it was about two grand, actually. I'm not yeah. sure. I can't remember, to be honest. Mm. I want to ask you also, um, right, right at that time – I think 2006, I I had left for Taiwan and, and abandoned you and the center. And I just, I remember really, really enjoying working with you in the center and teaching you, I, th- I think I was teaching you things. I'm, 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 <laughs> and showing you what Guy had showed me and showing you how I did the things that Guy did. Yeah. And... And I really, really adored working with you. And so when I left, I think I, I, I said to you, did, did you want it? Did you want the space for yourself? Or did you want me to try and find somebody mm. to come in? Mm. And you, you did want it, didn't you? I was so afraid. <laughs> but I am so grateful to you because I would never have had the belief in myself to 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 do that you know like without you sort of saying to me look I, I, you know I, I want you I I feel you you can do it and you know encouraging me to do it but also giving me the option of uh, option out if I didn't want to and you know one of the things that I think I do I often if if the universe uh, sort of presents an opportunity to me or says something to me, even if I'm afraid, then I will take it. And you know, I'm I so even though I was terrified, uh, I took it. And yeah, pretty much everyone left, <laughs> and I was like there on my own. You know, mm-hmm. oh, no. for about half an hour, and then one person would come in. And, oh yeah, yeah. But but then, um, it, you know, it's a it was a huge learning experience. So I had I had um, you know, like it's interesting, isn't it? Teaching it's such a such a it's, it's a process, and you know, for a long time. I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing? You know, what am I doing? And like, you know, I just hang on, hung on to what you had taught me and sort of kept those boundaries and kept those things going. But, you know, part of the process for me has, you know, definitely been like, what the hell am I doing? What's going on? What am I doing? And and I went down a, um, a quite, you know, and I and I did start to go down more of an, a, um, a perhaps a, a less traditional way, you know, more towards 
the John Scott, the, you know, Derek Island or Manju type of way. Um, but uh, so what happened actually was, so I started to go down that path and then I had uh, Nick Evans come and, and uh, he, um, whilst I went to Mysore again, I think he, he came. Yeah, and we've been bringing Nick in as a sub. Yes. Quite that's intimidating for me because every time I left from Mysore, I'd come back to be more students. Yeah, yeah. Which is unusual. Usually it's the opposite. But he was like, <laughs> he was just so fantastic that yeah, people just like flocked to him. Yeah, he's like the rock god. Yeah, yeah, he looks just, he is. I mean, he was a fucking rock guard, yeah. And and so I started started hearing from him that, yeah, there was this, you were kind of going towards the the Manju path. And I think now in hindsight, say, you know, 15 years later, you know, everyone is is kind of really, it seems like everyone is, is, let me me rephrase that. It seemed, for, for me personally, um, really tuning in to what the person needs is much more important to me now than, a, than applying the orthodox Ashtanga standard to them. Right. And I, and I think that that was quite threatening to me at the time that you were doing that, that you were thinking of the individual rather than the orthodoxy. Well, you know, I think, but then what happened for me, What it's quite weird really because I came, I sort of swung back around. I've sort of swung back around. I've got a real reputation of being very, you know, traditional and, and oh. you know, uh, in down that route now. But what happened was when Nick came, he was like, he sort of cleared everything out. He's like, nope, we're not having that, not having that, not having that. And yeah. then once I came back, there was like a, quite a lot of um, disquiet in the troops, you know, like, so uh, I think yeah. approach people in a, in a individual, you know, more in an individual sense. And uh, I had some people really kicking off. And yeah. um, I literally had one student, shouting at me in class saying you don't know what you're doing and I was thinking yeah right you're not the only one that thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> but it did make me mad as hell like it was it was I, I was the closest to uh, getting really cross at that point in time yeah. um what it did make me do was it made me uh kind of refocus and I think one of the things for me is, um, you know, there's so many different facets, there's so many different angles, there's so many different ways. And for me, I, f- I enjoyed having that boundaries or those boundaries within it. Do you know what I mean? Within the practice of that sort of traditional sense. And, and so I sort of went more back that way and I do still enjoy it because I think as a woman teaching I you know I naturally see the the body the body as individual so I I would or perhaps that's the wrong way to say that sorry I didn't mean it like that but I kind of like will see things as many very sort of 
energetic and I suppose that that will that brings lots of layers to it and so I like to have the boundaries within that um Mm -hmm. to keep me focused otherwise I can really go off off piece you know what I mean and then I lose myself you know like like you're you feel like you um lend your teaching or your your compassion, your sort of interest to the students so much that it then becomes its own sort of yeah. takes on a life of its own almost. Yeah, I lose myself in it I, because, yeah. it, you know, what, what I need from a teacher is actually them saying, okay, well, this is it's this way. And that really helps me. Whereas if a teacher says to me, well, it could be this or it could be that or it could be this, mm-hmm. like, uh, I want you to take an objective viewpoint from what you know of me and guide me down that route. And then I will make my own decision once I'm on that route. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what works for me. That's interesting because Richard Freeman talks about that a lot in terms of a zero or a one perspective, that there's a, there's a orthodoxy to the one and in the zero, there's this understanding of context and the, the multiplicity of factors that go into being a human being, having a unique energetic body and all those things that that person needs. And somehow we have to find uh, a middle path between the one and the zero. Yeah. And it's so difficult as a teacher teaching that. And that's that's kind of what I was faced with when I had your puddle of a knee in my hand it's like oh fuck i can't just apply my standard to this person i need to learn how to adjust this person yeah and it it was actually richard actually who taught me how to adjust your knee um i don't know i don't know how the timing of that worked maybe it was in oxford he came to oxford with ian mckellen that you know i had to kind of roll the 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 thigh forward to be able to keep your knee attached to itself. Mm. And I think from that point, I've, I've been really, um, the the adhering to orthodoxy has kind of been shaken for me. And I, and I, and I like having boundaries in the room. And I, and I think actually Harmony and I are quite tough with boundaries, Mm. you know, from an outside observer, but um, I'm so much softer than I was in Brighton, where I think every other week I kicked one of you fuckers out of the room. <laughs> but it's a journey, isn't it? It's a process. You know, I mean, what, how you started as a teacher is not how you are now. You know, it's the understanding of, of uh, you know, the, the practice is completely different to, you know, when you first started. And, like, I think what's important is to have a relationship with the people that are in the room. I think that's what's most important. So, like, you know, I need to have a relationship with those people that are coming in every day and that I see every day and, you know, um, have a have an understanding of the people that they are and hold a, hold a neutral space for them, a safe space where, you know, they're not judged and, like and um, but you know there's a framework they have to stick within the framework mm-hmm. uh, you know but on on the uh, i think 
it's there's a framework, but it's also very individual. I mean, and that's the problem, isn't it? Just yeah. so individual, depending on the person, their age, how long they've been practicing. You know, you can't, it's not a black and white thing, is it? You can't yeah. really give it, you know, black and white context. And, you know, and that's why I like to have the sort of those boundaries as well, because, because it, because that at least helps me stay on a path, you know, because it's so, so many aspects to it, you know. Mm. Yeah. There's real beauty in the form of the practice and in, in, you know, just the purity, sort of that pure form of the practice. And that's one aspect, but then also how the practice or how that form gets integrated or applied to each individual practitioner is also unique and it's exactly completely unique because like you know the shapes that you're going to make are not the shapes I'm making you know like exactly (laughs) (laughs) but what you want is is for you to feel comfortable with the shapes that you're making and stay present in your and focused in your breath and your body you know and not be looking at the shapes that somebody else is making or, you know, or have any interest in that whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, even the shapes that we make in our own body from day to day can be so, vastly different, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, one thing that you did that fascinated me when I was there was that uh, you were a hypnotist and that you had studied hypnosis and one of the things that you, you wrote about, about that is that uh, maybe you're not doing so much um, individual treatment now with, with folks, but that you will do it with your students um, if they have unhelpful, unhelpful emotional luggage. Yeah. And I, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and what it looks like when you're helping someone with, with hypnosis in, in the MICER room. Um, I guess, you know, it's recognising patterns, isn't it? So we will establish patterns, emotional patterns, patterns of behaviour from childhood. And, uh, you know, those those patterns aren't always helpful patterns to have. And um, the... Emotional self is very much connected to the physical self, isn't it? So, you know, in the way that, you know, it depends on how you feel when you go on the mat. It depends on, you know, how those back bones are going, how those hip openings are going, you know, or, or whatever the, the whatever postures that you find challenging, you know, it depends on how you're feeling. And so with with some of my students, you know, sometimes we, we talk about – those patterns you know we recognize we we re- so i might talk to a student and we might recognize uh, what the pattern is and that uh, if you can recognize where the pattern comes from you're halfway there you know like then i might offer some techniques for them to practice during the shavasana or during times of you know when they're waking up in the theta st- state or when they're going to sleep where they can you know focus on then tasks or practices to do to try to break down those patterns of behavior 
those emotional patterns. A theta state. I think theta, like a theta wave. Theta wave. Yes, yeah, yeah, a relaxed, a relaxed state. Well, I'm almost sure that we're pronouncing it wrong. I don't know. <laughs> it's, their, it's their language. I mean, come on. It's, um, you know, I, I've thought about you quite a lot over the last couple of years because um, I started teaching meditation to school teachers. Oh yeah. Um, as a as a as a side gig, and um, I would as I'd go into it, and I would and I would lead them through it. And I would kind of I kind of realize that some people were better at better at teaching meditation than others. Hmm. And I, and I sort of realized that there was a performative aspect to what I was doing. And it was, it was theater. And I was using my voice in a way to modulate their emotional experience. Hmm. And that I said to my, I said, I started saying to people just as a, as a, as a, joke i was just to say to people you know what do you do for a living it's like i'm a professional hypnotist that's what i do <laughs> and thinking about you every time i would kind of smile to myself as you were a professional hypnotist and i'm trying to i'm trying to understand i don't know if you know if you if you have a thought about this is it different to hypnotize someone because i really think that's what i was doing i was hypnotizing teachers and they were going into theta states um or alpha states, maybe. And is that different from putting yourself into a meditative state? Is it different to be on the outside directing or just to be internalizing it for yourself? Hmm. I guess uh, you were doing guided meditation then, were you? Yeah, I'm doing guided meditation, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I think they both lead to... So first of all, so I'm not a hypnotist, but I'm a hypnotherapist. So hypnotism <laughs> is more is more to do with entertainment, really. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think I don't know really, Russell. I guess when you're doing a guided meditation, you're still getting into that place that you would, you know, could use uh, suggestion. So. Mm-hmm. It, you, I guess they are fair. There is definitely a crossover, but it depends what you're, you know, what suggestions you put into people. I'm just telling them to calm down, really. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. That is a suggestion, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure there's much difference. I mean, would you say there's a difference between hypnotherapy and, and teaching meditation? I guess with meditation, your goal is to get people to simply be. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with uh, hypnotherapy, generally you're applying, you know, some sort of solution-focused therapy as well. So you like would to stop smoking or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you know, you would be you would be specific about what you're doing although i did i was doing the um, guided uh, relaxation with the at the women's rehab wasn't i when you were there i believe so yeah that was that was kind of similar i think but what is what is a women's rehab uh it was it was rehab for uh, women coming off of uh, drugs really yeah drugs and alcohol okay 
Mm. It wasn't like a, a women's shelter. I wasn't sure. No, 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 no. It wasn't a shelter. And so the the hypnotherapy for you was that was was that something that was helping you with that experience? The hypnotherapy I got into to try to help myself, really. Like you know, I was so pissed off with like, with myself, with with the world, with life, and uh, yeah, I got into it to try to calm my mind. Yeah, you know, try yeah to try and calm my mind down to try and. Um, to try to quieten down my cr- constant criticism of myself. Yeah, mm. that's interesting. I um, I know I went to a um, uh, adult children alcoholics meeting mm. in California, and uh, I walked in and I kind of looked around and I was there for about an hour and. And I realized, oh, well, shit, these are my people. <laughs> these people I really strongly identify with. And that I'd been in Ashtanga yoga for the last 20-odd years because I was an adult child. And I was really, I was self-medicating with the Ashtanga yoga in the same way that Al-Anon is a, is a kind of um, pres- prescribed, prescriptive yeah. solution. Yeah. One of the things that that's very evident with adult children is that they have an, an inner critic that overwhelms their self-esteem. Yeah. Is is that something that was that was going on for you? Oh yeah, definitely. Don't you like not uh, not through uh drug and alcohol but th- through um having a difficult childhood. I had a very difficult childhood through no fault of my parents but I did have a yeah very difficult time which sort of started at a very early age and um sort of culminated in me being uh, in hospital a lot as a child and it was in the 60s uh, and so uh, I I nearly died actually um and my parents weren't really allowed to visit me um you, you of the of the physical response to trauma. Yeah, I, no, I I nearly died of septicemia. Mm. Oh, I also, I was in and out of hospital a lot through trauma. Um, that was just one time that I nearly died. Yeah, uh, so much so actually that that my parents got accused of uh, child abuse. Yeah, but was yeah. it was it someone else in the family, not your parents? No, I was just very, very clumsy kid. Being in hospital a long, long periods of time by myself, yeah. Um, and the time that I nearly died, I was like, uh, I was just coming in. I was three years old. I was nearly four. Um, but my my mum had you know three girls under the three three very young girls. My dad was working three jobs and like she couldn't come in to see me. You know, like and I was there a long time and I felt I, I guess I felt abandoned. Um, and then by the time I came out, I wasn't actually speaking. It was I got so traumatized that I'd stopped uh, speaking. The only thing I did was scream. <laughs> wow. 
Are you from the East End? Are you from Essex? No, 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 I'm not from Essex. Where are you from? Yeah, sometimes I wonder that. Like, yeah. <laughs> am I even from this world? I'm not sure, really. Oh. Yeah, well, my dad was um, a he, he. My dad, my dad's primary work was he worked uh, in schools for emotionally disturbed inner city adolescents. So, mm. and most of them were like boys' schools up to the uh, senior schools up to the age of eighteen. So we basically moved around quite a bit and we lived on the um, sites, school sites in the houses on the, on the school grounds. Yeah. So we'd live with all the kids. Yeah. So when you were doing the hip hypnosis, was it, when you were first learning, was it mostly being applied to yourself? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, had to, you had a practice group, so, you know, you'd practice on each other. And um, But, yeah, my motivation was, I mean, uh, when I got when I first started yoga, I just hated it so much. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, me too. That down. No one wanted to practice next to me. I was just like fuming, you know, like... <laughs> And then, you know, the teacher would say, oh, put your hand, I don't give a shit where my hand is, you know, I'm on my bloody mat, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so I guess it was, the the yoga did help me to really understand the amount of criticism that I was giving to myself and, you know, it was at that point that I thought, oh, you know, to, it would be good to, uh, that I don't need this, I don't need this in my life, you know, this sort of perfection mm-hmm. so the yoga really um was the mirror that brought this awareness of what was actually going on internally for you and that then drove you to seek out the hypnotherapy yeah exactly exactly amazing wow where was your first class what the- uh, yoga yoga class teaching uh, where uh, where did you first oh, no, learn? It, it was actually um, it was with Julie. Yeah. It oh, was, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Gosh, you were fresh. You were you were fresh out when I met you, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So an- another thing I want to ask you about, which I'm I'm really fascinated about, and I'd heard this when I was when I was there, um, in England in Brighton is that um, there was something else that you were uh, a little afraid of and you were afraid of things that kind of centered around subjects of death or just around death. Maybe you could say it better than I could. And you decided to, to face your fears yeah. in an interesting way. And I, I believe you started work at, a, at an alternative funeral home. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I yeah. don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, there's a movement called the um, Progressive Death Movement. And, you know, I don't know about um, other countries, but in, in Britain, um, the funeral industry is a very male-dominated, um, s- steeped in tradition. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the the funeral home that I was working with was run by females and it was green, so you weren't allowed, you know, no embalming or anything like that. Um and what it mean, what the progressive death movement is it's like it's 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 giving you the choice you know it's handing over the the power to you to choose how you want to deal with the death of your loved one mm-hmm. so, you know you can keep them at home if you want you can have them you know you can like anoint them at home you know the, this the funeral home would would basically facilitate anything that you you wanted in order to help uh, deal with the the death of your loved one that's really interesting you know my grandmother died in our house and um and it i mean At christmas it happened to be christmas day so <laughs> fun fact yeah. um, but this was several years ago the funeral home comes and picks up the the dead body, the remains, and then carries them off. And that's sort of like yeah. the last you contact you really have. I mean, yeah. we were really, she was, uh, she died in the early, early morning hours and we didn't call the funeral home for, um, several hours till, you know, 11 or, or noon or something. Yeah. And it was, it was nice because we were all able to kind of go in and say our, our personal, goodbyes you know in, in a way that was un sort of mediated <laughs> yeah. yeah well traditionally you would have had the body with you for some time wouldn't you I mean in history like that's what they used to do is you'd have the body with you you know and you had time to say goodbye and you know that's so important isn't it I think like to, to sort of make that transition understanding that there's their spirit is no longer with you, but being able to sort of say goodbye to the body. Mm. It, for the for the Jews, we we sit shiva, though I've never personally done that because I'm so divorced from Judaism. But we, that's you sit with the body for three days. Ah, uh, yeah. And it's interesting because knowing that I had, I had heard read a story about the mortician industry that it was something developed out of the civil war um, that suddenly there was this kind of money, uh, money making opportunity and guys were going around the country saying, we're going to take care of this dead body for you. Cause there's so many of them, right? There's millions of dead bodies hmm. in the States in 1860, 1862. So we're going to take care of this for you. We're going to off, we're going to do this for a fee and one of the ways they they advertise their industry is talking about is telling people that the body was unclean and that they were going to get sick around the body, which, as I'm I'm starting to learn, is rubbish actually. Mm. And I, I wonder if that's something that, that does that um, ring a bell for you? Well, I guess um, yeah. You know, we we death has become very clinic clinicalized. Is that the right word? I don't know. Yeah. Medicalized, hasn't it? Medicalized. You know, like so. It's it's now a process of. It's all very very controlled, and you know, and I and I think that 
as a society, we've just become so fearful of death, haven't we? And, you know, it, because it's, I, I guess it's taken out of our hands quite a lot. And, you know, if the person dies, then they're, they're just, people turn up and they take them away. And, you know, yeah, it does resonate with me. Yeah. It's, you've worked quite a lot with the, the bodies themselves, with the, the remains of people. You've, you've washed and cleaned people, dressed people. Yeah, what is that like? Uh, it's intimate. It's a very, you know, I, I love a ritual, me. I do love mm. a ritual. And it's a very intimate ritual. Yeah, you, you know, you like... I'm always very, very respectful, of course. And uh, I think it's, you know, that it's very important. I think it's very important to be respectful. And sometimes um, I think people can see it as a, a job and perhaps a money-making job and and sometimes they might not always be as respectful as they should be, mm-hmm. I think. So, you know, traditionally it was it was uh, it would have been women that sort of washed the dead and cared for the dead initially. So, yeah, mm. men are always going off and dying. So that's sort of <laughs> men are always dying. The women are all cleaning up after them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what was it? Was there a particular moment or incident where you realized that you had this? a binivasia, this very strong fear of death come up? Yeah, I guess it was it was a couple of things. Like I'm I I'm very um I'm a big animal lover and um we were driving along and my friend was like, Oh God, there's a, a badger's been here. So we pulled over and she said to me, you know, come and help me move it off of the road. And I said, I can't, I can't touch it. Like, I just, just was terrified. And um, then um, my friend, uh, she got into, a, like, a, she was with her partner and he, he he had, like, a small plane and he was like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna ride to Dorset. I'm going to fly to Dorset for the day. You know, do you want to come with me? And she was like... Oh no no no! I'm I'm going to stay. But then the last minute, she decided to go, and they had a crash, and uh, yeah, they ended up uh, dying in this field um, alone together. And um, and I had the opportunity to 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 see her, and I couldn't see her because I was just I was just too afraid. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me realise that I need to kind of get a grip and and immerse myself in it. So then I did. And um, the first time I saw uh, a dead person was um, really, really quite shocking. And, and he, I was helping with the dressing and he had... Um, committed suicide, mm-hmm. and he'd had um, he'd had the post uh, mortem um, uh, exam uh, operation, and 
Yeah, I just, I was, I literally went into trance state. I was just staring at his face, like I was just waiting for him to to breathe or sit up or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like staring at him. I just could not move. And the person that I was working with was just going, yep, you know, Sarah, Sarah. Wake up. <laughs> I was just like, just rooted to the spot. Just, and then I just sort of snapped out of it and it was all okay. But yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it, it, the work itself is, is huge privilege. The whole, the whole thing doing, you know, the celebrancy and, uh, mm, it's a, it's huge privilege. You said that, that you were, you're deeply grateful to be able to share to share grief with people with moments of grief. Yeah. What did you, what did you mean by that? Why are you grateful for that? Well, I guess, you know, I'm, I think for people to let you in, in that way, and for you to be able to help them to get to a threshold moment where they, have completed their journey of saying goodbye to their loved ones and helping them do it in a way that that brings their loved ones close to them so that they can truly say goodbye and begin that journey, cross over that, begin the journey of grieving, um, knowing that they that they have done everything that they can to, you know, all the way through loving that person to their death and and being part of that process and just having those that window where those people share with you that intimacy and also i guess you know it, i constantly remind myself you know every day i i try to be present and appreciate you know be grateful and appreciate what every moment to know that you know this journey is so short no matter how many years you live for it's always so short and and there is so much to be grateful for and you know love is is just you know wonderful and and painful you you they Love always ends in separation, and you know it's just so important, isn't it, to to appreciate every moment that you have. Mm. You you've actually added to your list of titles. You're you're all, you're a celebrant. Yes. Yeah. And it's a celebrant, someone who who does these things. Is that is that part of what uh... celebrant is? Someone that would hold the ceremony. So I would, I would, I take secular ceremonies, so non-religious. So I'd go and meet with the people, meet with the family or the people, and um, and then I will write the service for them, and uh, and then hold the service. Yeah, mm, it's very, it's it's lovely. It's so um, individual. You know, each one is different and. There's so many choices that you can have to your service, and yeah, it's lovely. It's a lovely part of of beginning the process of healing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I remember um, my grandfather passed. I was 
just completely shook by it because he was the person I probably loved and trusted most in the family. Mm. And uh, we we had him cremated and we went out into the, the um, Gulf of Mexico with all of my aunties mm. and uh, we put him in a little bag and we were going to um, dump him over the side of the boat. And that was really nice for me because I had done a lot of um, uh, fishing, I guess you'd call it. We called it shrimping. We'd done a lot of shrimping in the Gulf of Mexico with my granddad and had some incredible experiences, um, really. And uh, so we we dumped old granddad off the side of the boat and a gust of wind came up. I ended up inhaling most of it. And so I carry him with me, you know. Mistake, he's right, mate. He's right, yeah, right there. <laughs> that old granddad, right here. And when, I, when I get lung cancer, finally, I'm going to know where where whence it came. Oh, brilliant! Mm. Oh, yeah, always downwind, matey. We are seafaring people. You know these things. <laughs> uh, we didn't know. We're from the Midwest. We don't know anything. About but anyway, we don't know shit from Shinola is what we say. I don't know if you say that in England. Um, Not often. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you also do you do weddings now as a celebrant. Do you 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 know that my my brother did that sort of thing? Yeah, you said that. No, I didn't know that. I don't think. I think you actually you went to my my wedding in England. Is that right? Was it that? Was that your brother? Ah, oh. yeah, my brother did that wedding. You know. <laughs> yes, now I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was, yeah. So he was the model for you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what, so tell us a little bit about that. What, how, you now, I guess, that kind of transitioned naturally to go from. From deaths to to weddings. Yeah, Great. I mean, I lo- like I said, I you know, ritual is very important in my life. Um, my mum is very ritualistic, and uh, we were, you know, we have lots of rituals in our family. And I thought, you know, I I was really interested in in sort of having done the funeral work moving in towards the ceremony, uh, the celebrancy. And I was thinking, well, you know, like if I train to be a funeral celebrant, that's got to be the hardest ceremony that you're ever going to take, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, from there, I then started to, after, after a good few years, I'd started to move towards, uh, other ceremonies, so weddings and baby namings and, and, oh. uh, yeah, house blessings sometimes, but yeah. And, and it's a much sort of, it's, it's a good counterbalance. It's much lighter energy and yeah, it's, it's a, also such a privilege as well to take that. Yeah. You get to share in people's moments of joy and also grief. Yeah, yeah exactly. These important, important moments of time in people's life and you get to, you know, be part of that. Yeah. Harmony found the most incredible lady to do our wedding. Sherry D. Wilson. Sherry D. Wilson, who is, uh, I think, a national um, poet laureate. Poet laureate or an Alberta mm-hmm. poet. 
mm-hmm. Gloria. Mm-hmm. And we walked into her house to kind of go through the, um, you know, what we were going to do. And we kind of decided on uh, like a scotch rite with like, you know, wrapping our wrists together or something with mm. special cloth. And we, did, we have to keep the cloth forever now. Wow. And there was, there was literally a fucking broomstick in her house hanging up. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. She's a witch, isn't she? <laughs> and you, you're kind of witchy. You're kind of in the witchy realm now, aren't you? I am in the witchy realm. Yeah. yeah. I used to be called a witch as well. Yeah. I've always been in the witchy realm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm the good witch and the bad witch. <laughs> well, I try and keep a little bit of both, you know, keep yeah. balance. Oh, don't worry. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> It's really interesting being a, um, I guess, sort of a bridge or a conduit from the unseen world to the seen world. And, you know, when in our practices of yoga, we are being exposed to this, um, you know, sensing and feeling and, and becoming more aware and sensitive to the things that are unseen. And then I love how your practice moved you through this this journey into like deeper and deeper levels of being this conduit between worlds yeah I mean I think for me the practice is like a physical prayer you know like Mm. that's the way I see it it's like sort of trying to it's a physical act of of gratitude for, for my life and yeah that's the way I try to see it Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. That is lovely. <laughs> well, I, would, I really, I really want to thank you for this opportunity to to talk with us about this. I'm I'm really grateful for the time that we had together in in Brighton. And me too. Um, I'm sorry if there was any hard feelings over the years. If I was adhering to to orthodoxy. But I'm glad to see that we're in reverse positions and that we can see each other. That's nice. Yeah. And uh, I just really, I just really, I want to send love and, and, and thank you so much. And I, I love you dearly. And I, I, I just hope you, you manage this lockdown and this Brexit and all this horseshit. And I hope you do, hope you all are fine. Oh, well, thank you so much. Like, I it's been such a pleasure to speak to you both. I'm so grateful that you would ask me. I couldn't believe it. I nearly fell off my chair. She had to believe Are you still teaching online right now, Sarah? Yes, yes. Yep, I'm teaching online. So the the program that we run um at the BNHC is through Ashtanga Yoga Brighton. And I run that with my lovely, I call her my yoga wife, Catherine Duckenfield, who, uh, yeah, she balances balances me out. So we work very well together and, yeah, still working on mine. Mm, thank you. Is, is Jedi still there at the front desk? No, no. We've had quite a few since jeddy but he was uh, one yeah he was a, he was a delight I, yeah I really he was he was him. fantastic and horrible skin diseased bulldog <laughs> 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 
was a bulldog. It was um, it was a basset. Oh, it was a basset with a skin disease. Henry, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Bless him. Well, I have I have a son now named Jetty, so that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Jedi. Jedi. I call him Jedi. Oh. Yeah, it's good. Lovely. Yeah. So um if people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh Estanga Yoga Brighton. But without the H we we just write it as the Sanskrit, but uh, yeah. They put a little uh, thing above the S. The Astanga. Yeah. And, and people walk into the room all the time. Is this the Astanga? Is this where I can do this? Do that? <laughs> can I do me Astanga? And it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. Get over Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. It was really such a pleasure and honor to speak with you. Oh, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking